Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Three days and three nights. And Jesus even uses this as a reference to his own death, burial, and resurrection. He's like, hey, just like Jonah. And when he talks about Jonah, he's saying like, no, you know, Jonah, the real guy. They got swallowed by fish? Come on, that's not real. And Jesus is like, no, like that really happened. Yeah, that really happened. In fact, Jesus was like, I was the one who made the fish. I made that fish. I made that happen. Yeah, like when Jonah was swallowed three days, three nights, he's like, yeah, so will the son of man be. Did you know that the book of Jonah has some amazing foreshadowing in it? Today, you'll learn from Pastor James's message that just as Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights, so Jesus was in the grave. Jonah's time spent in the belly of the fish foreshadows Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Pastor James explains that just as Jonah came out of the fish in three days, so did Jesus come out of the tomb. The Word of God is rich with depth and meaning. Take time to study it. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Jonah chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. in the belly of the fish, you need to just obey God. Obey God. It's better for you, and it's better for people that are surrounding you, okay? Because it'll never just affect you. So if he's telling you to do something, just, just do it. Just go for it, okay? The other thing concerning that, I'm just, these verses are popping in my head, but I'm reminded from the book of Hebrews that we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. His name is Jesus, and he has been through it all. He knows exactly what you're going through, and he will never ask of you what he isn't willing to walk through, through it with you. He's, he's, he's there. He's like, listen, I, I may call you to do something that's difficult, but you're not doing it on your own. The Lord Jesus is like, no, I'm going with you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going, to, I'm going to hold your hand through this whole process. Like, this is a journey we're going on together. I'm, never, I'm not just asking you, like, hey, go and do this, and, you know, I'm going to wish you luck and hope I see you again. It's not, that's not how Jesus works. He's like, hey, I want you to go and do this thing with me, with me. So just in, in case you need that, that encouragement, that reminder, he never sets us up for, like, failure in that sense of, like, no, you know, good luck. Hey, go do this thing. You know, hey, we're, we're rooting for you from heaven. Like, we hope you make it. It's like, not that at all. And Jesus even told his disciples, he's like, listen, it's better that I go because the Holy Spirit, you got the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Power, tremendous power and teaching and all this, all this stuff that goes along with the Holy Spirit, who is a person of the Trinity, the triune God. You're never alone in these endeavors. You're never alone in these endeavors. If Jonah was going to go to Nineveh, you needed to, he needed to understand that God was going before him and with him. But here he is on the boat. The lots fall on him. Then they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you like? Okay, spill the beans. What? What's up? What'd you do? 
Who are you? What's your job? Where'd you come from? I love all these questions. These questions are brilliant because this really puts Jonah into a position where he has to own up to who he is, to who he is, and who God has called him to be. See, you might think you can resign, but you can't, because you can't. Because you might end up on a boat full of Gentiles, and they're like, hey, who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? This, okay, you're here, the lot fell on you, so tell us. What's your occupation? I'm a prophet of God. I was a prophet of God. I kind of quit. They're like, no, you can't do that. You're a prophet of God. Oh, interesting. Where do you come from? I come from Israel, where you guys picked me up. It's your country, Israel. I, I come from Galilee. I'm from Israel. What people? I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew. So he's going to tell them. I mean, basically, he tells them just that, what I explained to you. But he says, he says to them, verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I'm a Hebrew, and I fear God, the one who made the sea that's about to kill all of us. <laughs> like, this is the God I serve, of this horrible sea, and that beautiful dry land that's calm over there, where he's supposed to be. It says, verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And see, there he is. I mean, he's owning up to it. He's telling them, he's like, listen, I'm a Hebrew. I serve God. I'm a prophet. But God asked me to do something that I just don't agree with politically or culturally or anything because I'm kind of a little bit of a racist and a little bit of a bigot in that sense because I hate those people for who they are. That's the, real, the reality of the story. Whether we like those terms or not, that's the truth. And they're like, what? <laughs> He's like, I'm running from God. And I can't even imagine what was going through these pagans' minds where they're like, wait, you're running from God? This is the God you serve, who you said created this earth and who created this sea, and he's all-powerful God, Elohim. You're, you're running from him? Can you do that? I, I would imagine these are questions that are coming across him. Now, maybe not, because the waves are still raging, and the wind is still howling. So maybe they don't have time for chit-chat, but I'm just wondering what's going on in their mind of like, are you nuts? You can't run from God. Isn't it amazing when the world corrects us Christians on our theology? Because it happens. It happens. I've been encouraged by people who aren't saved at all during some of my downtimes, where people come along and say like, hey, you know what? God's good. I'm like, where did that come from? God's good. I'm like, do you even know him? Because I don't think you do. And it's weird how the Lord can use instances like that where people, and maybe, maybe there are some are believers or whatever. I have a few people in my life who maybe at one point in time were following the Lord and all that good stuff. I don't know where they're at with him and all that, but they'll come around and be like, hey, God's got your back. I'm like, did he tell you to say that? Because I kind of needed to hear that. I kind of needed to hear that, but I didn't expect it to come from you. Here's these Gentiles are like, what are you thinking? So 
They knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them, verse 11, they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. It was picking up. It was, getting, it was going from bad to worse. So he tells them, here's what you're supposed to do. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will be calm for you. For I know that this great tempest, this great storm is because of me. Now, is that the only solution? No. No, it's not. It's not. What could have Jonah done? He could have said, you know what? Here's what I need. I'm just, I just need to pray right now. Um, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to take a second because I need to repent to my God for my sinfulness. And probably doing that would calm the storm. And then I need you guys to turn this boat around and drop me off back at the shore. That probably was an option. That probably was an option. But Jonah's not there. He's like, hmm, here's how you can stop this storm. Pick me up and throw me in there. And he knows if I go in the water, I will die. I will die. He's like, it'll save you. Somehow he knew that. He knew that he knew he was the cause of the storm. And he knew that if he was off of the boat, that more than likely these guys would be saved because the storm would stop. But however, for him, he would drown and he would die. He knew it. But for him, this is a way out. This is a way out. Because I don't have to go to Nineveh if I'm dead. That's never an option. Please understand that. That's never an option. Taking your own life is never an option. It's not a way out. It's not. This is the ultimate act of selfishness on his part. Ultimate act of selfishness. God has given him this tremendous opportunity and responsibility. And there are literally hundreds of thousands of people who would greatly benefit from this one prophet showing up in their town, delivering one message that's only eight words long. And he's like, I'd rather die. I'd rather die. Selfish. Totally selfish. Completely selfish. We've had people in our lives commit suicide. And you're like, you are robbing this world from potentially a, a blessing from God. One of our teenagers in youth group killed herself. One of our friends at Bible college killed himself at Bible college. And it's heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, and I understand that there is pain behind all of that, but ultimately, you're robbing everybody. And we know what that feels like. And it's sad, and it's tragic, but this is where Jonah's at. He's like, just throw me in the water. He knew what it meant. He knew what it meant. Just throw me in the water. It'll be good for you, and it'll be good for me. Story will be over. But that's not how God works. That's not how God works. Nevertheless, verse 13, the men rode hard to return to the land. I love that. They're like, all right, tell us what we got to do. Pick me up and throw me in the water. And they know that's his death. And they're like, nope, we're not going to do that. Let's row harder to get back to the land. They're like, no, we're not okay with that because we don't want your blood on our hands. We're not okay with that. We're not going to do that. I'm sure if we row harder, we can get back to the shore. 
but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. It was just becoming fierce. I mean, it was crazy. Verse 14, therefore, they cried out to the Lord. The, the sailors are crying out to the Lord. Uh, they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And they're the ones praying, and the prophet is the one remaining silent, okay? And they're calling out to God, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So he picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. So here's all these pagans. They're like, they're rowing. They're trying as hard as they can to do anything possible because they don't want to throw him overboard. They know what that means. So they don't want to do that. So they're going to row until they cannot, they can't row anymore. And then they're left with the final option of like, well, if you're not going to pray, then we're going to pray. Because you just told us about this God who created the earth and the sea. And so we, have, we prayed to everything else except for him. So now we're going to turn our attention to him. And we're going to cry out to him on behalf of you, believer, Christian, prophet of God. And that's what they do. They pray, they pray to God. And they're like, and you know what? As these guys are innocent bystanders within the story, I mean, it, it's fascinating that they go to the Lord, and they're like, please, Lord, uh, we don't want to do this. We don't want to do this. But this is your guy. And this, you got him. We believe that you're in control. Ultimately, they're, they're kind of submitting to the fact that God is in control. He's in control of this storm. And if they throw this guy overboard, whatever happens with him, God is in control of that. Because just like he can control that storm, and they'll see it physically happen where as soon as he hits that water, I'm sure as soon as he hit that water, it was still. But they're like, listen, Lord, um, we're going to toss him over. We're going to toss him over. And we just, in, in one sense, they're kind of saying, we trust you. We trust you. There's this whole will of God thing that's going on. And Jonah's like, I don't trust you. Well, this is my will for you, Jonah. This is what I have for you. This is my will for your life. Well, I don't trust you, and so I'm going to run away from you. And then you have these sailors who are like, we have nowhere else to turn but to you, and we trust you in your will in this story. And they, whoosh, they toss this guy overboard. It says then, verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now, what does that mean? What are these vows and and I don't even know if, like, how this worked is like, because, again, obviously, this is Jonah through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing this book, right? So more than likely, the Holy Spirit, as Jonah's writing his story, has given him insights to things that he may not have been aware of. Or maybe he was floating in the water, and he heard those guys, like, worshiping God, and he saw maybe they were offering some sort of sacrifice. We don't know. You have no idea. More than likely, the Holy Spirit, as Jonah's sitting down to write this thing, was like, hey... You want to know what happened when they threw you over the boat? You want to know what happened, Jonah? They, they made a sacrifice. Now, does this mean that they got saved and that they're serving the Lord? Don't know. We never hear from these guys again. You get to heaven, 
Maybe look for some sailors from Tarshish. Maybe they're there, right? Like, hey, you guys from Tarshish? They're like, yeah, Jonah. Like, sweet, I wonder what happened to you guys. Um, We have no clue, no idea what happens there. And I know there's some different thoughts on this of like, yeah, maybe this was just kind of like, you know, they're kind of going through the motions and they worship all these other gods. And maybe this is just one more they added to their shelf, so to speak. I don't know. I have no idea. I know this. These guys called out to God. He heard their prayer. He answered their prayer because they toss him in and the storm stops. And their response to that was to offer sacrifices and to worship him. I think maybe not for the whole crew, but there, I'm, there has to be a handful of these guys where this dramatically changed their lives forever. Because you can't experience something like that and not walk away changed. Be like, let me tell you this story. We were leaving Joppa, and we picked up this Hebrew guy. He was running from God. Can you believe that? He was running from God. And then the storm hit, and we were rowing. We were throwing all the cargo. Sorry about the cargo. We'll pay you back, or however that works. But we ended up praying to this God because it was his fault, and we tossed him over, and the storm stopped. Can you believe that? Can you believe this God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea, and he did all this stuff? I'm sure it had an impact on their lives. It had to have had an impact on their lives. It had to have. I, I can't say that dogmatically, right? But if I'm just looking at people from the Bible as normal people, like you and I, if I was a sailor on that boat, I'd be like, all right, I need to know more about this God. Like, I need to know more about this God of Israel because that's a God I want to follow because I prayed to all these other gods and none of them answered me. He did. So I'm going to follow that guy. So there's the sailors, and their scene ends. And, and we know from the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah is not about Jonah, although he's mentioned, I think, some 18 times or something like that. It's not about these sailors. They're only mentioned a few times. It's not, even, it's not about Nineveh. It's, it's mentioned. It's all about God. I think there, there's references to, to God all throughout the story. Some 30-plus times in four chapters, God is mentioned in this book. This story is all about God. It's all about him and how he is just so good to us and gracious to us and merciful to us. Here's what he does for Jonah, verse 17, the last verse of this chapter. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Like, wait, what? Like, when did this happen? Could have happened right then. Well, what fish was it? I did some research. I've been watching. Like, the timing of this book is pretty incredible. I would just want you to know this. Um, I don't plan these things out, OK? I don't do this. But my favorite holiday just passed. It's Shark Week, OK? That's my, I love Shark Week. It's not really my favorite holiday. I just like saying that. But I, love, I just love sharks. I love sharks. I love the ocean. And I, sharks are my favorite animal. I know I'm weird. But I just love them. So I'm like doing some research on the Mediterranean Sea. I'm like, well, what sharks are, what big fish are in the Mediterranean Sea? They're all out there. They're all there. There's been spottings, you know, sightings of all of them, basically. But you got whale sharks, which would be way big enough to swallow a dude. There's basking sharks. That thing has a huge mouth. And although its throat is probably way too small, but there's other fish in the sea. And you need to understand this, too. When he's writing this, he has no degree in marine biology. Jonah doesn't. So if he's like, I don't know, but this fish swallowed me, he probably doesn't know what the fish was. All right? He didn't ask the fish. He probably only saw the fish from the inside. So you're not going to identify, like, was it a great white? It could have been a great white shark. It could have been. Could have been a sperm whale. Because those things have an enormous esophagus, like 20 inches in diameter. 
you could slide right down that day. So, or God may have just created a fish specifically for this moment in time to swallow Jonah. That's suited to keep a human being alive for three days under the water. I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. It says God prepared a great, a great fish to swallow Jonah. So whether that fish was already in existence swimming around, and God said, hey, fish, go get him. The fish obeyed God. The fish obey God. So I don't know. I can't deliver to you what exactly the fish was. I just my imagine. Listen, if Jonah, Jonah's up in heaven. You sit down with him. You know, new heaven, new earth. Go on a walk with Jonah. Be like, okay, like from what you can remember, like what was that fish? You know, or what was that like? But I know this about some of these larger whales too. Uh, they have like four stomach chambers. Okay, because you might be thinking like. Wouldn't he be eaten up by the acid and all that stuff, the digestive enzymes and everything? Well, in the first chamber, it's just really just used for like crushing the food. And then the second chamber is where all the digestive enzymes, that's where that takes place. So if you get swallowed whole by a fish, and it is possible, it is possible. There's stories that are out there, but I don't know the reliability of these things because most of them are on the internet and you're like, eh. I don't know. But um, all I know is like this one really happened because even Jesus quotes this story and Jonah was a real guy. This is not a fairy tale. This is a real story. But he could be stuck in that first chamber and all you're really having to put up with is just a stomach that's just like <laughs> kind of pressing on you for like three days, right? Which would be uncomfortable um, for sure. Uh, and plus the fact that you've been swallowed alive by an animal. Um, but God appointed this great fish to swallow Jonah. And it says, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And Jesus even uses this as a reference to his own death, burial, and resurrection. He's like, hey, just like Jonah? And when he talks about Jonah, he's saying like, no, you know, Jonah, the real guy that got swallowed by fish? Come on, that's not real. And Jesus is like, no, like that really happened. Yeah, that really happened. And in fact, Jesus was like, I was the one who made the fish. I made that fish. I made that happen. Yeah, like when Jonah was swallowed three days, three nights, he's like, yeah, so will the son of man be. I'm going to come back from the dead, kind of like Jonah did <laughs> in one sense. But here he is. He's floating out in the water, or maybe he's going down, and all of a sudden, darkness. Whew. Darkness. Complete darkness. Can you imagine? But in the midst of that darkness, what you may think is like, the worst possible scenario is actually the thing that God is using to save your life in the best way possible. And that's not just physically saving your life, but rescuing you in your relationship with God. If you end up in the belly of a fish, you want to not end up in the belly of a fish. But if you happen to find yourself there, don't be afraid of the darkness. Just rejoice in the fact that God has sent this great thing into your life to rescue you, to rescue you. And it's going to take three days. Why did it take three days? Well, this does serve as a great illustration for Jesus and his resurrection. The other side of it is it took Jonah that long to pray. It took him that long to actually finally say, okay, hey, Lord, <laughs> um, I'm kind of sick of this. I'm sorry. It took him three days, three nights. 
So we'll pick up on the story next as we just continue on this journey. Next will be, well, how to get out of the fish. Try not to get into the fish today. Well, when you're in the belly, because you probably will end up in a belly or two in your lifetime, how to get out of the belly. Because God does not intend you to be in that belly for any longer than what he needs you to be in that belly. Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James as we journey through the book of Jonah. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear more from Pastor James, you can visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Just click on the Teachings tab. There you'll find a variety of verse-by-verse Bible-based teachings. Maybe you're like Jonah and you're wrestling with the call that God has on your life. Or maybe you've been running from God and you're ready to come home. We'd love to walk alongside you and encourage you in your faith. As believers in Jesus, we're called to gather together and pray, encourage, and help one another through life. This is what we believe at Bread for the Broken and Calvary Galveston, the church behind this ministry. If you're looking for a new church home or simply someone to connect and pray with, we'd love to be that person or people for you. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we'd love to have you come visit. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, please visit breadforthebroken.com. We'd love to connect with you too, so please drop us a note and let us know how you heard about Bread for the Broken and how we can be praying for you. Just visit our church website at breadforthebroken.com and click on the contact tab to fill out our form. Thanks for listening to today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of